So here we are again with the uh, penultimate Tradfest podcast, this being number eight in our series. I'm Douglas Robertson. What are you doing? <laughs> it's a body percussion. Body percussion. Okay, I'm Douglas Robertson. And I'm Jane Ann Purdy. What's on? Okay, we've got a fantastic show for you today. We've got Ewan Baird from Project Smock telling us all about his lockdown life. And then we've got an almost comprehensive uh, account of a day in the life of Dive. Finally, the Sugar story is from Kayla Rowan this time. But before all that, we've got a bit of body percussion and other things. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I should say that I'm self-taught. It's Evie Layden and Keith Terry. Combining deep interpretations of original and old songs with the kinetic thrill of percussive dance, Evie Layden and Keith Terry are a joy to watch. Both are accomplished instrumentalists, but can provide an orchestra's worth of sound using just hands, feet and voice. For Tradfest, we were looking forward to not only enjoying a concert from Evie and Keith, but also a workshop in body percussion, something that anyone can try, no special equipment required. Like all our overseas artists, they can't get to Edinburgh right now, so it's super special to catch up with them for the podcast. Hi there. Hi. How's it going? Hi there. Hello. So where are you now? Tell us roughly where you are in the world. We are in Oakland, California, just across the bridge from San Francisco. Lovely. How's the weather? A little gray and cool today. It's been beautiful spring, sunshine days. Yeah. Just prior, but uh, it's that transitional part of the year. Making us feel like we're in the UK as we speak. (laughs) It's a bridge that's very often shrouded in kind of mist, isn't it? um, Yeah. The The Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah, those are the most kind of iconic images of it. It's just like Mm -hmm. a quarter of an inch showing above the cloud. It's that kind of day. Yeah. (laughs) I'm quite interested to know how you guys met. And how you got together and how, how long you've been together. So, uh, Evie, do you want to start on that? Uh, sure. We, we've been working together for over 20 years, and we actually met on a dance project. I was in a dance company called Rhythm and Shoes, ah. based in Ohio, and we did a collaboration with Keith Terry and Cross Pulse. And I was actually on my way out. I was ready to move to a city. I was going to move to Chicago and and be studying more. Um, but over the course of that collaboration, it became very quickly apparent that I was going to move to California instead, where (laughs) Keith was based. And our collaboration has been going on ever since. So what attracted you to uh, Evie Keith? (laughs) Uh, She could dance. Yeah. (laughs) She had, uh, she had rhythm. You know, she could dance, she could sing. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. (laughs) 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 But that certainly was the first attraction. And did you kind of perform together from the start or did that come later? Well, we, uh, because of this collaboration of our two companies, my company with the company that uh, she was in Rhythm and Shoes that she mentioned, um, we were creating work. The two companies were creating work and performing, kind of touring in the U.S. over a period of several months. And then uh, he invited me, since I was leaving the company, he invited me to be on his next project, which was a Indonesian collaboration. So I kind of walked off the stage, off the stage of clogging right onto an airplane to Bali, Indonesia, where we were doing all this intercultural collaboration with Indonesians and North and South Americans. Was- but, um, you know, my background is very much in American traditional folk music, and Keith's is more in jazz and world music. So, um 
I think it, it took, uh, it definitely took some time to really meld those two worlds and we kind of move in and out of collaboration with one another. Yeah. I mean, Indonesia is just one of a whole load of countries where body percussion is a kind of part of the culture really, isn't it? I mean, everything from Bavarian foot slapping and, you know, you name it, it's all over the place. Exactly. And probably the oldest music on the planet. Yeah. So how did, Keith, how did you first get into body percussion? I mean, I know that we kind of all do it in the playground in a way, don't we? <clears throat> right. Um, well, I'm a drummer. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been a drummer all my life, a trap set drummer. And I, in the 70s and 80s, I was working uh, in a company called Jazz Tap Ensemble. And it was through that ensemble that I got to meet and work with a lot of the old timers, the, the generation of jazz tap dancers, people like uh, Gregory Hines, the Nicholas Brothers, Sandman Sims, Chuck Green, Eddie Brown, those guys, that generation. <clears throat> I was really inspired by them, the, the ability to create music and dance at the same time. And so I had a moment in a rehearsal one day that I realized I could stand up and play all the rhythms I was playing on my drums onto my body. And I started moving and I became a body musician. <laughs> no, no grand plan of my own. But there were two guys, Charles Honey Coles and Charles Cookie Cook, great dancers who took me aside at different times but basically said the same thing, which was what I was doing was similar to the hand bone they had done as kids and in vaudeville. Mm-hmm. But it was different. The rhythms were different. I moved differently and they encouraged me to pursue it. And so I took their advice. It's not just about the it's not just about the, the vocal thing though. A lot of the hand bone, isn't it? It's very kind of showman like. It's the little sort of the, the movements and so forth. It's like it's a very visual thing as well. Right. Exactly. Well, the visual is created by the action required to create the sounds. You mm-hmm. know, and, and I love this kind of two sides of the of the music and the and the dance. Evie, did you have any kind of experience of that before you met Keith? Because I know that you were obviously a dancer and a musician and a singer. Had you come across um, it? Absolutely. I mean, the the foot percussion that I grew up doing, clogging and then studying different kinds of step dancing, um, you know, English and Irish and Scottish step dancing and um, tap dance and all of that. I was really into the percussive sounds, the musicality of it. So the hand bone that Keith is referencing is a part of that Appalachian tradition. And so I had, um, I learned hand bone as a teenager and then in college was really kind of experimenting with rhythm, with creating your own soundtrack, um, you know, both rhythmically and visually as, as you mentioned. Um, so the dance company that I was in did, you know, we created percussive dance both with our feet and on our bodies. And that was sort of what fueled the, the initial collaboration. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's quite incredible when you see someone doing that. You know, it all seems to have happened too fast for the eyes to keep up with it. Somehow, I think that's part of the the magic. You know, you, you, it's hard to take that much in as it happens. It's uh, something else. Something else really is quite a blur. So um, I'm just wondering, Keith, if if uh, how how it's been, you know, during the last year, whether you've been doing more teaching online, and and uh, if uh, that kind of part of your work has become more popular in a way. Well, it's it's totally revolutionized <laughs> how I'm working because so much of my work was on the road. You know, yeah. I, was, I was really on tour like 80 percent of my time. And just before we went into lockdown, I was in 
Italy and Brazil and China. It's in three of the COVID hotspots. So I I'm, I'm feel like I'm lucky I didn't get caught somewhere outside my country, you know. Uh, so, um, but absolutely. So all the, all the travel has come to a, an end. I did uh, jump online early on with Evie. We were performing a lot. Mm. And then I started teaching for fairly early on a regular class. Mm. I'm still doing that a year later, which I love so, I do love so much because it's a very international population in the in the class in the classrooms, and so right. although I'm not getting that experience of moving about in the world and being in those places, I still have this interesting mix of people from all over the world in these classes that I enjoy so much. So he teaches on Thursdays huh? regularly, yeah. but like this weekend, he was in the Ukraine. Oh, quote unquote. <laughs> At six o'clock in six o'clock in the morning, morning here. <laughs> wow. You're in search of more danger there, were you? <laughs> hooked on it now, like a, like a war correspondent. Your own home. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one of the reasons I was wondering about that is that we have uh, friends who have a uh, a business that teaches music in schools, mm-hmm. and one of the only things that they were allowed to do uh, latterly was body percussion because they weren't allowed to have mm-hmm. any instruments right exactly. so i just wondered if you encountered that at all uh, in the states oh uh, everywhere yeah everywhere i mean this is uh it's one of the beauties of body music is it's so accessible it's accessibility and one of those one quality of the accessibility is the requirement of no other external instruments yeah. It's a great leveler in a way, I suppose. I suppose it's kind of a leveler because there's nobody, there's not one kid that's got the, you know, $20,000 cello and another one that's got the kind of $300 Chinese one. It's all, Absolutely. you've got it, it's, it's, you come equipped. Exactly. And, and that, you, you know, you find that in school districts too, that school districts that are, who can afford high-end music programs and the others that can barely afford, you know, keeping the doors open. So it's great in that way. In, in in so many ways, it is that leveler you're speaking of. There's also, Keith has a, a blind student that he works with, and we have a number of uh, international collaborators who work with deaf populations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's very tactile and um, useful for for people who think that they can't engage in music and dance in sort of traditional ways. So it's just been so successful. And then also the Rhythm of Math uh, book that mm-hmm. Keith put out um, using the body music to teach math. Uh, it's very, you know, a lot of kids, uh, they really gain from having the kinetic experience yeah. of learning rather than it just being in their heads. And then I also wanted to say we've taken this time, you know, to do some projects that have been on the back burner, like creating a whole host of mini lessons that are now available um, through crosspulse.com that are short lessons, whether, you know, you want to be teaching them in the schools or just for your own edification. Mm-hmm. It's pretty fun stuff. So Evie, what's your experience been of this year, you know, when you haven't been touring? Um, are there things that you've done that you always wanted to do? Or, you know, has it been frustrating? Or tell me what your feelings are. Yeah. It's <laughs> a big question. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's true, especially for all of us touring musicians that really love social situations. And I miss architecture, (laughs) (laughs) you know, being inside people's houses, um, you know, like being in yours was incredible and seeing how people live and the way the world is. I really I miss that. And obviously I've discovered how much of a social 
communicator I am. And so much of my work is about facilitating participation and engagement in music and dance. And, you know, I've always been saying the more disconnected we are through digital platforms, the more important this work is. And here we are, Mm -hmm. you know, even as, as disconnected as you can be but grateful for the internet. Um, it's also been the year of the banjo for a variety of reasons. I uh-huh. feel like um, it's definitely come in waves in the last 20 years that I've been pl- you know, out playing and teaching. Um, so it was a big year. I was really set up on the Peghead Nation platform for all those people who dusted off their banjos and were like, okay, this year I'm going to learn banjo. But I also think it was a, a, a confluence of the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. Um, that there are more people of color visible um, coming back to playing folk music Mm. and playing the banjo and reclaiming the banjo. And so it just, all of those forces kind of really brought it out back into the public eye. And so I just had hundreds and hundreds of students and lots of new students. And as Keith was saying, you know, doing online lessons, now you can reach people from everywhere and who knew, you know, before all of this happened, none of us taught workshops online, No, you know, and I mean, it's these silver linings that are wonderful and everyone's talking about them. But of course, I really, really miss just the energy of people. Yeah. I like people. <laughs> it's funny when you talk about banjo, we've had two conversations over the last week, one with uh, Aaron Jonah Lewis, a fiddler, mm-hmm. Appalachian fiddler, but he's really been spending the last year just improving his banjo playing and he talked mm-hmm. about he talked a lot about the kind of history of the banjo how it came from the yeah. minstrel tra- you know, tradition to some extent um and then we spoke today to aj roach from virginia who's again spent like the last year he's, he hasn't touched his guitar for a year he's been playing banjo i was gonna say he's not yeah. known as a banjo player no, <laughs> no. See, this is what i'm saying <laughs> everyone's playing banjo now so, so it's getting was... crowded there in banjo world i think you know? <laughs> It kind of is. It used to be what I did was uh, somewhat unique, which it isn't anymore, but that's all right. <laughs> You're just bringing on That's what I'm doing, a little more body percussion in the in the mix. We'll need to start making jokes about some other instrument. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's time for the piccolo to be famous. <laughs> Somebody once told me that, um, that uh, piccolo players were the laziest because they didn't want to carry anything or tune anything. <laughs> well, body musicians even beat them, you know. That's so. true. Yeah. That's absolutely true. You have nothing but yourself. Like That's true. When we travel to do folk concerts, Keith's got a, you know, a foldable stand-up bass mm-hmm. and a cajon for the percussion and all of that. And when he travels without me, he just takes a suitcase and a pair of shoes. <laughs> and a microphone. <laughs> How lovely. So have you done any recording or anything during the during the last year have you got any plans for new new stuff coming out next year or anything like that um i have to say that it's been extremely uninspiring mm-hmm. um to write new music and some of it is that uh, my, the music that i write has not been inherently political and it's been such a politically tumultuous year mm-hmm. in the states and elsewhere of course yeah. and um i i have not been move to write about the pandemic or about politics or that kind of thing. But we did have, we had an EP of covers that was literally just landed in our hands when we were ready for all of our spring tours and summer festivals. So we kind of regrouped on that and we did release it this past fall. 
Okay. And then uh, with my dance company, Motor Dance, um, we again had a full schedule of performances. We were working on new material. So we kind of took a left turn and created a new piece and I created a video for that. And then I, <laughs> I worked up the energy to start posting on TikTok doing oh, what wow. I call motor Mondays. And I just posted again, another video. So every Monday I'm just posting a short snippet of music that I love when I'm singing and I'm, and I'm dancing to it. So it's just like, um, approaching these new platforms and new ways of doing things. I'd like to say that we've spent a lot of time, you know, writing and recording, but I'd say I'd spend more time practicing. As you said, AJ Rouge switched to the banjo. I have been woodshedding guitar, Oh, just uh, woodshedding, flat picking, doing finger style for the first time um, and really working on that. How about you, Keith? Um, I've been recording a lot of uh, educational materials, right. uh, the mini lessons that uh, Evie mentioned. And I did a series of in 12 parts for music teachers in China um, that I recently completed. And they've asked if I'll do another series now for them. And we're releasing those in English also. Um but I just did a project for uh, uh, a Brazilian composer, Jovino Santos Neto, uh, recorded some body music on, on one of his tracks. And then there's a tuba player that I work with who had me record a lot of body music. He, now he's chopping it up and creating beats that he's playing along with and creating an album. So there are a few recording projects that kind of pass through that are oh, interesting wow. and challenging and all those things. Well, it doesn't sound like you've been idle. Um so um, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Thank you so much. Um, tell us a little bit about the track we're going to play. I believe it's called Walking in a Straight Line, which Douglas tries to do after a few whiskeys. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a, it's a song that I wrote. It has a really lovely video uh, that we're pretty proud of. Mm -hmm. And Keith and I worked together to create the body percussion for it. And it's a bit of a blues number. And the lyrics were really inspired by how hard it is after a time to do what now we call adulting of just <laughs> continuing on through the boring stuff, through the things that just need to be done and to try to stay creative and try to stay on your path. And Keith, you have a little story about walking in a straight line. <laughs> it involved losing his driving license. <laughs> right. Almost. I'm not sure I want to incriminate myself at this oh. point. But this, this happened many, many, many years ago. Okay. Uh -huh. And where I was, uh, uh, it was after a concert and we had had a little party and, um, and, and I had a few drinks. And so I was driving and maybe I was driving a little recklessly. I got pulled over by the police. So this was in Los Angeles. And, um, so they had me get out and he's talking to me and said, you know, so finally it came to the point. He says, well, can you, uh, can you do this? You know, he was doing this. Touching, I, his, nose. touching his, his nose. Touching his nose. Yeah. Fingers. Yeah. Coordination so, things. Exactly. Close your eyes. And it's, and so then he says, so can you walk in a straight line? And, and I looked at him and for some reason I said, no, but I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> They let him off. And, <laughs> and luckily, he, he had a sense of humor. Now, this was a different era in policing. <laughs> mm -hmm. But it's also, you know, it was also a reminder years later of my white privilege. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's for true. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You could yeah. be lying in a pool of blood if you've been a different exactly. uh, yeah. ethnic background. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks so much for talking to us. And we're going to enjoy walking in a straight line and uh, hope to see you next year. 
Yeah, a Tradfest. Tradfest for real. Yes. Yeah. I sure hope so. <laughs> no. That would be amazing. For real, I yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Okay. Good. Thanks a lot. Great. Great to see you. See Thank you, you so much. Bye bye. The hardest thing, what do you do when this world is just too big for you? Walking in a straight line. The hardest thing there is to be is all right with reality. Walking in a straight line. I'm used to it Feeling the way I feel I'm used to it Nothing's gonna change I'm used to it Feeling the way I feel Gotta, Gotta get, get used to, to everything being the same. Same. same Always the same My generation, we were told we could have it all, never grow old. Walking in a straight line. Walking in a straight line. But now I'm grown and so I know that taking care of business is how it goes. Walking in a straight line. Walking in a straight line. I'm used to it. Feeling the way I feel. I'm used to it. Rising up to carry you away from us Walking in a straight line Walking in a straight line Through my hands you start to slide But still I kept you by my side Walking in a straight line Walking in a straight line I'm used to it Feeling the way I feel I'm used to it So thank you, Evie and Keith. The track you just heard was Walking in a Straight Line from the album Jump the Fire by the Evie Laden Band. Next up is Project Smop member and Bowran, Bodran, 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 Baran, Baran player, Ewan Baird. Here we go. Hello, I'm Ewan and I play in a band called Project Smock. The track you're hearing in your ear holes right now is a track from our debut album released in February 2020 at Celtic Connections. We're extremely lucky with this album um, to be involved and invited actually by Edwin Collins, um, 
the legend that is, to go and record in his custom-built studio up in Helmsdale. Just a wonderful space to, to create music and spend some time with him and his family and we're just forever in his debt for, for letting us record the album there. I'm going to talk a bit about uh, my experience throughout the pandemic. Um, I know we've all got a different story to tell and we've all been up to different things and affected in different ways. So, so yeah, at the beginning of everything I was actually in Australia um, on a, a six week long tour as part of the small halls circuit out there. Um, just a an amazing team of people and, and just just really fun fun tour and great gigs. Um, that was sadly cut short after a week and a half in. Um, but we quickly realised that, that things were getting pretty serious and we had to to head home. So so we booked the first flight and we could back back to Scotland. I myself am from uh, sunny Presswick. Uh, you've probably ended up there along the promenade along to, to get an ice cream, got some brain freeze, uh, but you really jumping on. Yeah, but my plan was to move move to the Central Belt in Alloa with my girlfriend after after the tour. Uh, but that was slightly escalated when, when we got home and we realised that it might be a number of months before uh, we could see each other. So so I just moved, moved in with the suitcase straight off the plane. I'm not going to lie, it was slightly challenging um, coming back and quite quickly in realising that all gigs, festivals, you know, most work confirmed in the calendar uh, quite quickly was, was all disappearing for the year. Yes, yeah, so the first um, few months were pretty strange. Um, you know, the pace of life had slowed down and you know, to kind of think, reflect, and also, you know, think about family and friends, and I never really used to, to having that much time, so it kind of made me kind of long to see family and friends. Um, yeah, so that, I mean, that was one aspect for me that I slightly struggled with. I went down a slightly different route to Italian Pablo during lockdown, and I know a lot of other musicians as well. Ailey, my girlfriend, has a family business which is a caravan site in Alva called the Woods Caravan Park. There we go, we shameless plug. Um, who were extremely busy after the first lockdown ended due to sort of staycation um, and actually needed an extra pair of hands on site. So, so they approached me and asked if I would, would be up for, for helping out on site, which I accepted and can never look back really, it was a, a great summer and you know kind of doing the day to day gave me you know a bit of a focus and also really important for myself at that time a bit of a routine as well. I feel extremely lucky to, to be in the position I was in to be offered employment. I know a lot of other people right now are out of work or you know wait to get back to music or, or, or different businesses. So musically, um, I have been involved in a couple of things over, over the past year. Uh, I also play in a band called the Paul McKenna Band. Um, we recorded a single called Home, which is uh, basically about the epicentre of folk music, um, which is Glasgow, which we all miss 
very much. Um, I've also recorded an EP with Smock, which we recorded the tail end of last year, which has actually just been released, so it's good if I'll be listening to both those. Big thank you to Edinburgh Tradfest um, for letting me come on here and talk at you all with my Ayrshire dulcet tones. Um, you're just really hoping that we can get out and play at the festival sometime in the near future. Can't wait to get back out there, um, you know, to live gigs, playing live gigs, watching gigs. Um, I'm, I'm known for being quite a tactile person, so I can't wait to give friends and family a big hug and a big cuddle. Um, but yeah, it's been really nice talking to you. Stay safe and hopefully see you soon. Uh, thanks very much, Ewan. Uh, I just want to say that Project Smog's EP that's out now is called Esperanza and it's available via Bandcamp. Next up, we've got uh, the very eclectic and entertaining Day in the Life of Dive, edited by me, so uh, hope you enjoy it. Hi there. Marta Cameron here. It's uh, 12 minutes past 5 a.m. on Wednesday. I'm not going to lie and say... This is me just up. I haven't been to bed yet. You don't already know Dive are putting their school of Dive uh, online. Good morning, it's six o'clock and I'm in the spare room. Come home studio. I've had my breakfast and my coffee and um, it's just getting light outside. It's gonna be a beautiful day, I think which is good because the last few days have been not beautiful so uh, I'm looking forward to getting out there later on but at the moment I am working on some recordings that we're doing for some School of Dive videos that we've been making from home making some teaching videos so I've been learning how to use recording software and Stuff like that, which has been very exciting. So I'm sitting, playing about with that at the moment. And then I'll hopefully have half an hour left after that to play my guitar. I've got to, uh, well, plan is to look at some Gaelic waltzes that I'm going to record with Ailey. Good morning, my name is Ellen and I'm going to take you through a day in the life with me. I have just woken up. It's a very sunny day in Glasgow, but I think it might be quite cold. But anyway, I'm going to start my day by going for a run. Morning. Um, it's Angus here. I'm just uh, just dropped my daughter off at uh, at school. So she's in she's in primary school, which means that she's in full time since the past I suppose past couple of weeks or since restrictions got lifted. Um, and that definitely makes things a bit easier. We, I've got three kids, and they're in three different schools, so <laughs> juggling their schedules is a bit a bit different since we went into this most recent stage. It's um, 6.43 a.m. on the Isle of Egg. I've got to... Phone the co-op in Malig and pay for my shopping just now over the phone. 
Maybe before seven. Good morning, Kevin. It's uh, Gabe McVadish here in So it's half eight now. Um, we're on the boat. We've got the boat fully loaded up with cages and bait. We're going to try and get everything today because it looks weather looks good. So we've got 50 kilos of frozen garnered on board. I don't know if you're familiar with the garnered, but it's a horrible, spiky, painful fish that even once it's dead and frozen does everything in its power still to hurt you. It jabs you every way it can. It's got spines coming out of parts of its body you wouldn't even know were there. Oh, Skipper's forgotten his flask. This could be a disaster. We're going back in. Well, we might be going back in for the flask here. Okay, turning round. We're heading back into Camus and Talent. Skipper's flask. Can't go anywhere. Oh, oh no, I found it. Jerry! Got it. Okay, flask has been found. Now we're turning round and heading out again. Out to sea, that was the day nearly nearly over, yeah. Um, but saved the day, I saved the day there. Finding the finding the flask. Um, so anyway, back to the Garnard. Yeah, it's it's been out overnight, but it doesn't really thaw out very much when it's as cold as this. It's, it just makes my hands cold and it jabs me. I hate them. The big stupid fish with a big stupid head. Anyway, without them, we can't catch the velvet crab, which we're about to meet later. That's the hero of our story. I'm working on a the intro kind of bit for School to Dive video, trying to learn how to use um, Final Cut Pro, which I got. Um, so yeah, having to watch uh, watch YouTube videos on how to do things, trying them out, getting them wrong, and then watching the video again, or finding out of the video. So everything takes a wee while. When I'm not singing with Dive, I do some other Gaelic-related jobs. Um, one of them is I work for the CBBC children's team in the Gaelic department um, at the BBC. And if you don't know what CBBC is, it's um, we do the links in between the children's cartoons between 6 and 7pm on BBC Alipa every single night. My stomach just rumbled there, I hope you didn't hear it. <laughs> but um, yeah, so we've been working continuously throughout uh, the pandemic and we were even recording television links over Zoom from home last year. But um, in July, We've been, we started going back into the building. So we go into the studio every second week um, to film our television links. Um, and that can consist of doing quizzes, doing stupid challenges like popping balloons with our bums, who, seeing who can eat the most jalapenos and things like that. And I think it's informative as well though. Hi folks. You joined me Wednesday, nearly lunchtime. Uh, Tuesday is the the bin collection day in Glen Elk, so 
taking in the empty bin. my coffee and I'm just outside I'm just checking on the check-ins we've got six brunies and they're great great crack kids love them they've been quite entertaining and we got them a uh, got their own wee kind of caravan on wheels, so we move them about and just chew up everything. So, I'd like to introduce you now to the hero of our story the velvet swimming crab. Now, these, if you've seen these wee things, they're about the size of my hand, they're like dark brown. They've got back legs, they've got kind of evolved to swim a bit so they can swim up and down the water column. And they've got a fine hair on their back, which gives it a feel of velvet to the, to the naked hand. Um, they're really pinchy and nippy. They've got red eyes. Some people call them devil crabs. And they're covered in spikes and jaggy things. Even their claws have got spines on them. Really fast and ferocious and, uh, yeah, kind of crazy, crazy wee things. They're, they're totally brilliant. So they're just crawling about and amongst all the kelp and the reefs just annihilating everything they can get their hands on. So I stick these garners in the creels, so the traps, pots, whatever you call them. We throw them in the kelp, pull them up and uh, take these wee velvet crabs out, keep them, put them in cages. And they don't last very long out of the water, so once we've got uh, 30 kilos on a cage, we put that back in the water, pick it up on the way back later on. You join me three cups of tea later. Um, it's pretty nasty outside, but uh, I have been working on uh, building a woodshed out of pallets. My brother's a drunk and he managed to source me uh, 14 10 foot pallets. So, yeah, I'm nearly done building a woodshed. And, yeah. Set, ready to go and do these school of dive videos now. So, back in a bit. Just having to watch back through these files. Yeah, it's all looking red. Saying uh, 
basically get down here now. Your father needs a hand. Uh, there's a calf stuck uh, being born, so we um, seriously dropped tools and uh, bolted about four miles down the road. And yeah, I've been out in the in the rain. Um, pulling a cavern um, and it almost killed me, my father and brother. Um, luckily everything's okay. I'm back at my flat now and I'm just about to head into my cupboard slash wardrobe slash voiceover booth to do some voiceovers for Gaelic cartoons. And today's cartoon is a, an old children's programme called Big, The Big Barn Farm, I think. And I shall be doing the voice of a goat called Gori. It's a glorious day sitting here um, first day without the full oilskin jacket on and thermal hat, although the thermal hat's been masking a multitude of sins, I haven't realised because since I a year since my last haircut hair's been getting in my eyes a lot today without my hat on so I've been flicking my head about like Billy Connolly in a shampoo advert all day so I need to do something about that get a new hat, but it's a glorious sunny day and we're sitting here flat calm and you can see around, you can see Egg and Rum to the west, down at Ardemarkin Point, and the uh, hills of Kintail up to the north, Skurnakee and Neudert, the sky coolings, pretty good panorama. And when it's clear like this, I never knew you could do this until last year, but where we're sitting, you can see right up, obviously, Loch Elt, Loch Eel, and Ben Nevis is there in the distance, covered in snow. So a pretty wide panorama, seeing about 50 miles. Of so, uh, in through into the studio again, back to the studio. Uh, with my peppermint tea, I had my dinner, and I am doing, I'm going to Germany first, and then I am going to Canada. All because of Zoom or Skype or whatever it is. Um, but it's quite good, quite enjoy it. I wouldn't, uh, be able to teach these people ordinarily because they don't live here. Um, it's a bit strange the ones that I do teach uh, here, having to teach them online. But I suppose there's certain aspects of it that are, are pretty good. Um, and you find ways of making it work and in some ways it works better than being live or... for her. So, my last job for the evening. 
you join me at the computer, folks. Um, I would love to say it's going well, but it is, it is, uh, it isn't, it isn't going well. Um, it's really hard to like uh, relearn and simplify something that you've played for years. Um, it would turn out, and uh, yeah, I'd much rather learn something really hard uh, at this point in time. Um, well, that's me made at home. This is about half past six in the evening. Uh, drive home was quite eventful, actually. Uh, met Duncan Chisholm. Actually, I didn't expect to do that. He was driving about. I met him in a single track, but he was struggling at the reversing, you know. He said something about the sun being in his eyes. So I managed to uh, I managed to get out of his way and then flag him down, because I recognised him. And uh, there we go, that was Duncan Chisholm driving about, recording his tune with a view. Um, so that was a great surprise. I haven't seen anybody for a year. So Dive haven't all been together since January 2020 at um, a gig we had at Celtic Connections. That's the last time we were all together. So um, some people might be missing one another. Some people might be enjoying the peace and quiet but we've been trying to keep busy by I mean we all have other jobs but musically we've all been trying to um, keep playing some tunes keep learning songs so that's pretty much a, a day in the life of lockdown on egg for, for Gabe McVarish, really. I hope you're all well. Um, this is my last entry. I'll catch you guys. Au revoir. Thank you very Thank you very from me and a thank you from them. I hope that we see you at a dive gig very, very soon. Tapalov, Agus Aikava.
Fascinating stuff from Dive. I've actually cooked a few Gurnard myself. They are astonishingly ugly fish. So the music you heard was from their EP, Stopped in Our Tracks, which is available from Bandcamp. And uh, just in word on School of Dive is that it will be online very, very soon. Keep an eye on Dive's social media pages and their website, dive.net, which is D-A-I-M-H dot net. And to wrap up this podcast, we have another Shugle story, no doubt involving alcohol, this time from Kayla Rowan. Here we go. So it was myself and um, Craig, crazy, and Luke and Angus, all in Greece. And uh, at Luke's house, which was in a, a wee tiny village up just from a thing called Sparta, down the south, on the mainland. Melissa and the Spartans. So it's a tiny wee village called Melissa and it was beautiful. Luke's house was amazing and we were supposed to be walking out (laughs) (laughs) with um, smartening the place up and stuff, but of course... That's the team to get in, eh? When you want (laughs) to smart the place up. Yeah, there wasn't a lot done. Um, But we did manage to find the local taverna and it was just up this up the hill on top of the town, the wee village. And we went in to Taverna, running past the yard arm and these old boys were in playing dominoes or something and we were saying to James they had about three teeth between them mm-hmm. and um, drinking you know, drinking the ouzo and just pouring pouring the ouzo and then putting the water in and it turning white. <clears throat> And it must have been home-stilled, this stuff, I reckon. Um, so they poured us, poured us a couple of drums and poured the water in, but they poured quite big bumpers. And literally we stayed, I think, for two... We might have even had a tune, actually, if I remember rightly. And I think we had two of those drinks filled up with water. And then, and then we headed back down the hill and uh, I have absolutely not the single bit of recollection of that getting back to his house mm-hmm. in this light. And um, the only recollection I had was the next thing was ending up up a tree with Angus. Mm-hmm. So myself, <laughs> as you do, <laughs> we were up a tree all of a sudden. That was the next thing I remembered, um, and. There was a full moon, and I think poor Luke must have been uh, slightly, kind of, you know, just bemused. Slightly bemused. I think we were. <laughs> probably was. But anyway, we were. Angie and I decided that we would howl <laughs> at the moon. We were howling our heads off at the moon, <laughs> and then the next thing, the two of us came flying out of the tree and landed on the ground. In bits, and um, then and Angie was telling me while we were up the tree. I don't know how I remember this, <laughs> but he was telling me that he he wasn't um, he hadn't been writing tunes much of late, and he'd kind of lost his muse or whatever. And um, anyway, we fell out the tree, and then uh, 
then sort of noticed that Angie was covered in blood <laughs> <laughs> and his nose was pushing the blood. So we got him patched up. But anyway, <laughs> bottom line is, is that he ended up writing the tune called The Fig Tree. It's yeah. a hell of a day. And that must have broken his nose. The moral being that if you're going to fall out of a fig tree, make sure you're rattled and ouzo so you don't feel anything as you hit. <laughs> well, there's, nothing, there's nothing like a broken nose to bring out the tunes in you. Yeah. <laughs> well, but if you and ever get stuck for a tune, you right? know what to do. <laughs> Ross <laughs> yeah. uh, write a good tune after that. Well, uh, he didn't. Um, Gabe wrote a tune after Ross broke his nose, throwing himself out the window of the egg hall. <laughs> <laughs> What's it called? Super nose. <laughs> <laughs>